the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. This is Cornerstone Connection, the radio ministry of Pastor Gary Hamrick of Cornerstone Chapel in Leesburg, Virginia. Pastor Gary is teaching through 1 Timothy. I love how Paul commended the the church at Berea in Acts chapter 17, verse 11. He he said, comparing the church of Berea to the church at Thessalonica, he said the Bereans were of more noble character. Well, this was said. Paul didn't say it in Acts chapter 17, Luke's writing. He said the Bereans were of more noble character than the Thessalonians because they searched the scriptures daily to see if what Paul said was true. That's what you need to be doing. The problems in today's culture aren't anything new. Sin has always been around. Paul lived in the days where unfaithfulness to one person was largely ignored. That would explain a portion of Paul's letter, urging the church leaders and elders to not give in to that kind of living. Think about it. What kind of example would that be to those outside of the church? Today, Pastor Gary also touches on the other issue of preaching something as truth that really isn't. Pay attention to what you're hearing. At the close of Pastor Gary's message today, I'll be sharing with you how you can get a copy of today's broadcast of Cornerstone Connection. Subscribe to the podcast or get in touch with us. But for now, let's join Pastor Gary in the book of 1 Timothy chapter 3 with today's edition of Cornerstone Connection. 1 Timothy chapter 3 is where we are, so take your Bibles and go with me, if you would please, to 1 Timothy chapter 3. While you're finding your your way there to 1 Timothy chapter 3, let me just give a quick recap. But uh, 1 Timothy, 2 Timothy, and the book of Titus are what we call pastoral epistles. They are instructions given to pastors, in these cases, Timothy and Titus, about how the church should conduct itself and important principles about what the church looks like and how people within the church should live their lives and in very practical ways. And so there's doctrine here. There is uh, great truths here for us to understand as a local church. God's word is timeless, and so these principles are timeless, and God's truth is timeless. And so as we look here into 1 Timothy, so far what we've looked at are things that should define the church. And out of the first two chapters, uh, here are the first three points. Uh, The church should be defined as a place of sound doctrine. Back in chapter 1, verse 10, he talks about uh, refuting those who teach what is contrary to sound doctrine. And uh, instead, we should be teaching what conforms to the glorious gospel of the blessed God, which uh, Paul says that he entrusted to me. Then it should also be a place of grace. In chapter 1, verse 13, Paul talks about how he previously, before he came to know Christ, was a blasphemer, a persecutor, a violent man. He says, but I was shown mercy because I acted in ignorance and unbelief. So 
as we come to the house of God, it should be a place where we find mercy also, that our lives could also have a long list of what uh, identifies us, like Paul gave us a short list for himself, and yet we can find mercy and we can be forgiven and we can uh, experience God's grace in our own lives. And then into chapter 2, we talked about how he begins chapter 2 by urging us then to make requests, prayers, and intercession uh, with thanksgiving for everyone. And then he especially highlights in verse 2 for kings and all those in authority that we might live peaceful and quiet lives in all godliness and holiness. So God's house should also be a place of prayer for everyone, but especially for leaders. And then into chapter 3, we started last week where we talked about the importance, number four, of godly elders and deacons. And in the first part of chapter 3, verses 1 through 7, it deals with elders, and the Greek word for elders is episkopos. Uh, Some of your Bibles might refer to the word uh, elder as overseer, as mine does in the NIV, overseer or bishop, but it's the Greek word episkopos. We get our English word episcopal or episcopalian from that Greek word, and it is basically one who looks at or looks over something intently that is the church, the responsibility of an elder slash pastor. We mentioned last week how every pastor is an elder, not every elder is a pastor, but the responsibility of elders and pastors is to look intently over the church to make sure that it is functioning well, to make sure that it is healthy, to make sure that it's on track, to make sure it's it's all about sound doctrine and prayer and a place of grace and the other things we're going to mention on our list here. And so Paul then gives qualifications. What are the traits For elders, first seven verses of chapter 3, and then starting in verse 8, he talks about qualifications for deacons, which we'll get to as well. Now, out of the first seven verses of chapter 3, we mentioned last week there are 15 qualifications for an elder. Now, there are 12 more in the book of Titus for a total of 27, but just looking at these 15 here, we mentioned last week that 14 out of 15 are character traits. One is a gifting, and that is the gift of teaching, which we'll talk about a little bit when we read the list again here. But uh, we, made through, we made our way through five out of the 15 last week. Uh, so I'm going to read verses one through seven, then we'll come back and summarize those first five that we covered last week, and then we'll press on to the rest of the qualifications. So here we go, chapter three, verse one. Paul writes to young Timothy, here's a trustworthy saying, if anyone sets his heart on being an overseer, there's that Greek word episkopos, also translated bishop, uh, he desires a noble task. Now the overseer, the elder, must be above reproach, the husband of but one wife, temperate, self-controlled, respectable, hospitable, able to teach, not given to drunkenness, not violent but gentle, not quarrelsome, not a lover of money. He must manage his own family well and see that his children obey him with proper respect. If anyone does not know how to manage his own family, how can he take care of God's church? He must not be a recent convert, or he may become conceited and fall under the same judgment as the devil. And he must also have a good reputation with outsiders, so that he will not fall into disgrace and into the devil's trap. So last week we made our way through the first five out of the 15, 
And I'm just going to rattle through this real quickly. If you want to get all the details, you can go back last week and, and listen on the archives of the teaching library. Uh, number one is above reproach, meaning that an elder slash pastor needs to be free from scandal. Uh, that no man is perfect, uh, but, but someone about whom no credible charge or accusation can stick. So as to be above reproach, number two, to be the husband of one wife. Again, Paul is writing during a time of polygamy during the Roman Empire. So this is stressing the fact that a pastor, an elder, needs to be a one-woman man. Uh, committed uh, to one woman that he's married to. Now, this does not mean, as I mentioned last week, that a pastor uh, cannot serve unless he's married, like, like marriage is a, is a necessity. That just simply means if, if a pastor is married, that he should be committed to that wife. But this does not exclude single men. Uh, by the way, this doesn't exclude divorced men, provided that the divorce uh, may have happened previously under biblical reasons and or happened before he, he got saved, uh, because then, then all of that's under the blood anyway. Uh, so, but this is emphasizing be committed to your wife if you're married, uh, be that, that uh, one woman man, and this is speaking against polygamy of its day. Number three, to be temperate. The ESV says sober-minded. This is not talking about alcohol. We'll get into that tonight, uh, but more about attitude and judgment that a pastor needs to be circumspect in his responsibilities, clear-headed, moderate, not living in the extremes, but temperate. Number four, self-controlled. That is to say that he needs to be you know, governing his passions and appetites. Again, as you read this list of these 15 qualifications, uh, you'll, you'll notice that even in general as Christians, we should be living according to this standard. You know, if you're not an elder or a pastor, it doesn't mean you get to violate these things. You know, well, th- these are only for pastors and elders. You know, we, we should be living these, these kind of qualifications as Christians in general, but uh, specifically pastors and elders are held to this standard. Obviously, self-controlled is one of those that would apply to all of us like, like the rest of this list. Uh, self-control is one of the uh, one of the uh, fruit of the spirit, and then number five to be respectable, meaning to be polite, to be courteous, which is not always easy, and to be uh, a man of honor. All right, so that's the first five that we went through last week. Now let's take a look at the next five on the list, uh, number six through ten. Uh, we have here in the first seven verses. Number six is hospitable. Number seven is able to teach. Number eight is not given to drunkenness. Number nine, not violent, but gentle. And number 10, not quarrelsome. Now, you'll notice with me that some of these are pretty self-explanatory. I mean, I, you know, I don't need to go into extra detail and explain these things and, you know, break down the Greek for you, okay? I mean, this, some of these things just are pretty self-explanatory and stand alone. Uh, hospitable is one of those. I mean, you know, all Paul is saying here is that someone who's serving as a pastor or an elder here needs to be warm, needs to be friendly, uh, needs to, you know, welcome people and into your home too, or just to be sociable, to be, to be, you know, considerate of others. Now, some people have the gift of hospitality. Hospitality is listed actually as a spiritual gift. And some people have that as a gift that, you know, there are some gifts of the spirit and then there are some disciplines of the spirit. Uh, in other words, some people just, you know, they thrive in certain giftings that come very naturally. But 
but you know, you can't as a pastor or elder say, well, you know, I don't have the gift of hospitality. Yeah, you, ha- you still have to show yourself friendly and be welcoming and to be warm and to be hospitable. Uh, number seven, able to teach. Now, again, as I mentioned last week, this is the one, and I, and I reiterated today, this is, this is one of the 15 that is really in the category of giftings, while the rest of this list is more about character traits. That said, even though it says here that a pastor needs to be one who is able to teach, or an elder in general, one who is able to teach, we mentioned last week from chapter 5 of 1 Timothy in verse 17 that it talks about how the elders who direct the affairs of the church are worthy of double honor, especially those whose work is preaching and teaching. So Paul distinguishes right here in this letter of 1 Timothy in chapter 5 between administrative elders and pastor-teacher elders. So again, not every elder is called as a pastor. There are some administrative elders, and then there are pastor elders who are called to teach. But even if one serves as an elder who's more administrative and not pastoral, even that administrative elder has to be able to teach in the sense of, the meaning literally is, one who is able to rightly divide the truth, one who is able to lay down doctrine, because there's safety, you see, in the multitude of counselors. And when one of the biggest problems facing the church over the centuries, not just today, but it's true today, but over the centuries, is false teaching. And it's a slow departure. And some of it is so slow and so little that it almost goes undetectable, which is why it's important that you have elders in a church that can spot false doctrine and can hold pastors accountable. I mentioned last week that, you know, there's a group of of elders around me to make sure that I'm not going to go astray teaching false doctrine. And that's when, you know, my friend Dan was like, amen. And I know he didn't, I know he didn't mean like kick me out, but you know, specifically, but, but that, that's the safety net that a church needs to have. Because if a pastor starts veering to the left or right and gets off track related to the truth of scripture, that church is in danger because then the people that the, the sheep of the church are going to be led astray by false teaching. And it can happen, oh, so subtly. Oh, so subtly. You know, there's a rule of flying. It's the 60 to 1 rule. Those of you who are pilots, you you know the deal, that, that if you are one degree off on your instrument, flying, if you're one degree off from point A to point B, after 60 miles, you'll be one mile off target. Just one degree. So if you fly from New York to L.A. and you're just one degree off, by the time you get to L.A., you will overshoot the airport 45 miles. Just one degree. And that's, that's the challenge of making sure that what comes from a pulpit. And, you know, and listen, exercise discernment when you're watching TV preachers, too, uh, because, because there can be some error that's wrapped in some truth. And if you don't have the dexterity to separate the error from the truth, you're liable to believe the whole thing to your disadvantage. Now, you know, every pastor is going to have to stand before the Lord. That's why James 3, 1 says, not many of you should presume to be teachers, my brothers, because those of you who teach will be held more accountable, literally in the Greek, will be judged more strictly. 
So every pastor and every TV preacher is going to be accountable. But just as a warning to all of you who sit under my teaching or or listen to any TV preacher or go to some other church, you had better be wise and discerning. I I love how Paul commended the the church at Berea in Acts chapter 17, verse 11. He, He said, comparing the church of Berea to the church at Thessalonica, he said, the Bereans were of more noble character. Well, this was said. Paul didn't say it in Acts chapter 17, Luke's writing. He said, the Bereans were of more noble character than the Thessalonians because they searched the scriptures daily to see if what Paul said was true. That's what you need to be doing. You need to do that related to what you hear from me. You need to do that related to what you hear from every TV preacher. You need to do that related to every Christian book you read. You need to be discerning of what the truth is. And the only way you're going to know the truth is if you read God's word for yourself. And so you, you have to get yourself into God's word so you can be equipped in your faith that you can know the truth from what is a falsehood or what is a lie or what is deception or what is a distortion. And, and again, it happens oh so subtly. So a pastor has to be able to teach. There has to be a gift of teaching, you know, to be able to get up and, and present God's word. But even those elders who are not pastors have to be able to teach in the sense of knowing right doctrine to be able to hold the pastor accountable for, for the protection of, of the flock. And, and so this is a very important thing. It's a very critical thing. That's why every single one of you, you know, read your Bibles, understand for yourself. There doesn't need to be a middleman. All, all I'm trying to do is express God's word according to how he reveals it. But you don't, you don't need me. I mean, you, you have brains and hearts and the spirit of God to yourself that you can read and you can discern, you can understand. And it's important that you do that. You know, I, I hear people from time to time, who, they'll come to Cornerstone, they'll be like, you know what, you know, no one's ever explained this to me before, particularly those of you from the Catholic tradition, okay? You know, up until the 1960s, the, the, the mass, the Catholic mass was in Latin. You couldn't even know what the priest was saying was true or not if you didn't know Latin. So, you know, there has to be this equipping of the saints, which is you, you know, learning and growing in your faith, not just because you're hearing me teach, but because you yourselves are applying God's word to your own hearts and lives and you're getting into scripture and you're searching scripture daily to see if what I say or any TV preacher or any Christian book is true, just like the Bereans did in Acts 17 verse 11, checking what Paul said making sure everything Paul said lined up with, with the Old Testament scriptures. He wasn't violating anything with what he was saying. So able to teach, understand doctrine, uh, recognize what is, what is true. Number eight on this list is not given to drunkenness. Now, um, this gets a little controversial in different churches. Uh, so I'm going to tell you where I come down on this verse and, and you know our stance here at Cornerstone. This will not be universal. Um, but this is a matter of, you know, some interpretation. Now, if you've been a Christian long enough, you understand that when you read the whole counsel of Scripture, there's, there's not a prohibition against drinking. The prohibition is against drunkenness. And I've said this many times, you know, when we've come to, one of the beauties of going through the Bible cover to cover is we're going to hit every hot topic, okay? And so some, you know, some of you love your alcohol. And so, and at moments like this, when we talk about alcohol and drunkenness, um, uh, you know, I've always maintained that, the, the, that for the Christian, even though you know that drunkenness is the sin, 
the challenge becomes at what point are you buzzed? You know, 0.01, 0.02, you know, what's your blood alcohol? And it starts splitting hairs between, you know, when, when am I a little intoxicated and when I'm just dropped down drunk? You know, it, well, Pastor G, is it, is, is, is it okay to have, you know, a beer with pizza, but as long as I, you know, can hold my own and I don't stagger out, out of the restaurant? It, yeah, I mean, at what point are you splitting hairs? Okay, so here's what's important to understand about what Paul is saying here to pastors. Okay, this is, this is to pastors. This is to elders, all right? When he says here, not given to drunkenness, there in, in verse 3, It is the Greek word pateronos. Pateronos is from two Greek words, patera, meaning near or with or alongside, and oinos, meaning wine. So he's literally saying here in the Greek, not near wine. Patera oinos. It's interesting that when you look in the Old Testament, when the priesthood was first established, the first high priest of the Old Testament was Aaron, the brother of Moses, and his sons then became the first priests, and that Levitical line, that Aaronic priesthood, went through uh, the line of Aaron. And they were the Levites, you know, the, the, the descendants of Levi. Aaron was of the tribe of Levi, and so the priests were of the, of the, the tribe of Levi. And you could only be a priest if you were of the tribe of Levi, because you had good genes. <laughs> anyway, that's kind of a Levi <laughs> joke. All right. Anyway, wake up. Um, there's only one time that God spoke to Aaron and his sons. Only one time verbally recorded in Scripture where God spoke to Aaron and his sons. And it's in Leviticus 10, 8 and 9. And this is when God spoke to them. Then the Lord said to Aaron... You and your sons are not to drink wine or other fermented drink whenever you go into the tent of meeting or you will die. This is a lasting ordinance for the generations to come. Okay, so God had an opinion about alcohol and fermented drink among those who were serving in the house of God. You say, well, that's Old Testament. Okay, so New Testament is Ephesians 5.18. Now, this exhortation is for all of us. It says, be not drunk with wine, wherein is excess, but be filled with the Holy Spirit. The question for pastors becomes, who or what do you want to control you? Do you want alcohol to control you because there's the potential for alcohol to be addicting and controlling? Or do you want the Holy Spirit to control you? You also need to take into consideration as a pastor, Romans 14, 21, which says it is better not to eat meat or drink wine or do anything that will cause someone else, a brother, to fall, to stumble. So for me, as it relates to pastors, uh, I believe that pastors are called to a different standard than the rest of y'all. And that is that when, when I piece together different verses, and, and to me, when I, when I just even meditate on paronos, near wine, we're not to be near it, uh, what it says to me is that the possibility of alcohol Uh, doing more harm than good for pastors uh, with the potential to impair a leader's judgment or duties, to contribute to an addiction, or to cause others to stumble. And for that reason, at Cornerstone, pastors and and elders voluntarily abstain, especially um, because it could cause other people to stumble. 
Some of you would have no problem. I've been to different places and, and been offered plenty of alcohol over the years. Um, and, and then I have to explain, you know, um, it's okay for you as long as it's in moderation and it's not drunkenness. Uh, but for me, I, I believe that there's a different, there's a different standard here. We're so glad you joined us for this edition of Cornerstone Connection, as Pastor Gary Hamrick teaches through the book of 1 Timothy. If you're interested in hearing this message again, or others like it, feel free to visit our website at cornerstoneconnection.cc. You can also download our mobile app so you can have these teachings with you on the go. This is a great way to keep up with Pastor Gary's studies and to have encouragement from God's Word at your fingertips. Find a link to download the app for your iPhone or Android device at our website, cornerstoneconnection.cc. Once there, simply look under the Teachings tab. You can also learn more about the church this radio ministry originates from, Cornerstone Chapel. We'd be excited to meet you if you're in the area. You'll find all you need to know about service times and other information on our website. Again, that's cornerstoneconnection.cc. We trust you've been encouraged by today's teaching from the book of 1 Timothy, and we encourage you to read over today's message on your own, and then make plans to join Pastor Gary again for more from this New Testament letter, right here on Cornerstone Connection. J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal records to the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com.